Community Radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. Welcome, Welcome to, to Unemployed, Unemployed Workers, Workers Fight, Fight Back. 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 Join your hosts, Anne. And Kevin, that's me. The second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show. Between 5.30 and 6.30pm. Here on 3CR Community Radio. Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions. For the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone, Everyone in, in our community, community has value. value. Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine is really made from all these things. So that was um, that was summer wine by. Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood. And you might wonder why I'm playing that song, Anne. Where did that song come from? <laughs> well, if you notice at the beginning of the song, uh, Anne, that was, um, uh, it said something about cherries. And so the whole theme of today's show, being Christmas Day, is cherries. Cherries. Everything, everything, everything's going to be related to cherries. So, so welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on this Christmas Day, the 25th of December 2020. Have a cherry, cherry Christmas. <laughs> cherry, cherry Christmas. So we're gonna we're not gonna bombard our our listeners with too much um, doom and gloom on on Christmas Day um, about unemployed workers. I thought, and that we should um, concentrate on some of the good things that have happened during twenty twenty. The job seeker this year, you'd have noticed um, one major difference. It doubled. It doubled. That was part of the good news, wasn't it? Comrade Morrison came out of the woodwork and, and doubled the rate of new start. Yeah, the, the the raving right winger turned into a socialist overnight. Well, because he had to, you know. And so so that was good. They've been screaming for a rate rise for a very long time, and bingo, mm-hmm. overnight, um, people got it, which was which was good for a brief period in two thousand and twenty. If you were uh, unemployed and you're used to struggling to get by on too little, they made it just to the bare minimum of the poverty line this year. Yeah, isn't it amazing when you think it's a great thing that you can be on the poverty line? <laughs> Goes to show it's all relative, doesn't it? <laughs> I've spoken to a couple of people who who um, experienced that increase and each time it just amazes me how it lowered their stress levels, like they said, and at last I could pay for things that were building up, like getting the car fixed or doing other kinds of um, maintenance or, you know, not having to make those horrible choices between going and seeing the doctor because you've got a spot that you think could be cancerous or, you know, eating. So, yeah, it's a great thing to have a bit of an increase. It's it's a pity that it's not going to stay. It's it's increased the pressure on... A permanent rise that, that's still very much part of the conversation now it's it's um hard to wind things back and and they could mm-hmm. you, you just think they they couldn't they definitely shouldn't but they couldn't go back to previous levels because that's just ridiculously low 
So that was a good thing for 2020 was that if you were unemployed, at least you had a rate that was better than it has been for a very long time and uh, and that gave uh, some people some relief. So that was that's good. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet www.3cr.org.au. Continuing our cherry theme on unemployed workers fight back on this Christmas day, that was Wild Cherry with Play That Funky Music White Boy. Next up, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk to a mate of mine, um, Tex, who's a fruit picker, and he was uh, he's going to give us his experiences with the with fruit picking, you know, being the, the cherries, mm-hmm. he picks cherry, he has picked cherries and apples and a few other things as well. But uh, this comes on the back of a conversation which is quite current at the moment, and I'm going to read to you um, an article from the New Daily. So just Ooh, be, Kevin, so, you've been doing research. Well, well, <laughs> I, I just got this flung at me this morning by by a friend. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to make it sound like you do already I, prepared. <laughs> I don't do a lot of homework, and you know that. So, um, but, but things come things sometimes come my way. So, so here's this, this is from the New Daily. The article headline is Push to End Legalised Exploitation in Farming Industry. I'm just going to read it to you. Mm. It says, a German woman was told how she couldn't afford to eat while being paid less than the price of a cup of coffee thanks to a minimum wage loophole on Australian farms. In one of what's being labelled legal exploitation, Carmen Hart was paid just $19 for two days' work picking zucchinis on a Bundaberg property last year. As her farm experience rolled on, Miss Hart got quicker, but she barely made a livable wage. On top of on top of this, one of the hostels she was forced to stay at by her employer charged her two hundred and fifty dollars a week. The hostels give you just enough work to pay your rent sometimes, not even that, she told uh, New Daily. Yeah. Miss Hart had barely enough to live off. She ate instant noodles and the bruised fruit that had fallen off the trees in the farms where she worked. Uh, when I spoke to Tex, uh, and he's picked fruit in New Zealand and Australia, um, it, it sounds like mm. a bit of a racket where you have to stay at these particular hostels um, because they service the orchards and they charge your rent in advance uh, and if you don't pick enough fruit, you get sacked, but you never get your rent back. Wow. But it's got to do with an 88-day obligation uh, if they want to qualify for the second year of their uh, tourist visa. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's legalised exploitation. It's sort of written into the visa rules. They have to do this 88 days uh, work. So they're not doing it for the money. And as a consequence, they're getting screwed um, because mm. anything they earn, uh, mm. a lot of it goes back to the hostels, which to me sounds like they're in cahoots with the orchards. Uh, it's difficult work. Um, right. Like not everybody's an experienced fruit picker. I don't know whether you've ever um, done any fruit picking, but, th- you know, there's a knack. Not at 10 hours a day for seven days a week, I haven't, no. <laughs> In the summer heat. <laughs> Correct, you know. So you do it for a day or two and you go, oh, this is easy. Well, then try doing it for a week or two and then a month or two and see how you go. It's, mm. it's, um, yeah, I've done the pick your own cherries, you know, where you see the sign by the side of the road. Yeah. Because everyone probably thinks it's a bit of a lark, but not not when you're doing it day in, day out no. to get the harvest in. And not when you can't afford to eat properly and when your accommodation is, is pretty crummy and you're paying for all that stuff on, on top of it. But, of course, uh, we had a little comment from 
Federal Agricultural Minister David Littleproud weighed into the debate claiming fruit was rotting because unemployed Australians would rather sit on the couch. Of course they would. They'd rather be poked in the <laughs> eye with a stick than, than be subjected to, to some of the um, uh, the conditions that are being uh, doled out in these, yeah, in these, yeah, uh, in these orchards. Yeah. So, and, of course, it does suit some people some time. I know people have done it and they've, they've found it suits their lifestyle. But on the whole, um, you know, you, who wants work that lasts for a few days or a few weeks and then you've got nothing coming in again <laughs> and work that often, like you say, it's barely survival payments. Um, but it's also that you've got a different cost of living structure if you're travelling or you're here temporarily. Um, and so the cost structures of your workers who are coming in from overseas are different from your locals and that cost structure is not taken into account, you know, when they're talking about how much they're paying you. It only suits a transient lifestyle. You know, if you're from the city, and most people are, so you've got to pay your rent uh, in the city while you're also paying board who are living on the orchard. You're going to lose contact with other casual work that you might have in uh, in the city, so you lose that contact. To go and work somewhere that pays crap and is very unreliable. If the weather turns bad, if anything happens, then then um, uh, then you're out of a um, uh, out of an income. But um, look, it's all very well for you and I to talk about this, Anne. But let's speak to Tex, who actually is a fruit picker, and uh, and here's my uh, conversation with Tex early this week. Three CR here to stay. Okay, so this afternoon uh, on uh, Unemployed Workers Fight Back, we have my uh, old buddy Tex Tex Stone who is a fruit picker. So in the whole theme of uh, cherry picking, we're speaking to somebody who picks cherries. People in the news, I've seen on the media recently, say that why don't all these lazy unemployed bums who are kicking around town just go and um, pick fruit? Uh, you know, uh, there's plenty of fruit to be picked and all these um, all these farmers are complaining about how they can't find fruit pickers. Um, surely it must be that easy, Tex. Surely people could just uh, just pack up for, from town and, and go and pick fruit and that would be much better than what they're doing? Well, not with travel restrictions and everything else going down at the moment as well. So it's hard for people to get out there, let alone finance getting out there. And like like you say before, you've got to pack it down your house. If, if, you, if you've got a house, pack down a house in one place, pay to get there and then it's potentially unstable work, you know, unless you've been there for a while. I don't think people really consider the costs that are involved with becoming a fruit picker. So if you're going to go and pick fruit, where do you live and how much does it cost? Well, it depends if, if the orchard that you're in lets you camp on site or if you have to go and deliver the backpackers to get work in certain orchards. If you camp on site on the on the farm that you're uh, the orchard that you're picking from, they, char- they charge you to stay on the farm? Well, depending if they've got the, the donger units there, yeah. Yeah. If they've got the units there, they'll charge you, and half over sometimes over half your wages just going on onto the dongers. So you've got to pay for the donger, but presumably, if you're uh, an unemployed person from town, you've then got to pay rent on the place that you're renting back in in town, because uh, otherwise you lose your house. And so then you've also got to pay rent for uh, a donger on site. Can you can you camp or live in a tent? Is that is, is that free? Oh, back in New Zealand, it was. I'm not sure about the legalities here. I think it depends from state to state. Um, I've, I can only speak for Queensland and personal picking and cherries in, in Victoria. Um, but in Queensland, Queensland, it's very bad. You know, like they, 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 treat, they treat them like slaves pretty much. At the beginning of the season, you get make nothing. You know, they're just getting people in there to do their 88 days. 
So hang on. So ex- explain this 88 days. What, what does that mean? The 88 days is for certain countries, if they want to get a second year visa, they have to do 88 days within their first year to get the second year visa. So 88, 88 days of work? Yes, yeah. um, on, an, on a orchard or outback or some someplace rural to, to promote tourism in the outback. So it's got to be regional. They can't get 88 days work in town. Um, it has to be out of town. It has to be regional, yeah, to my knowledge, yeah. So if you're a tourist in Australia and you want your second year visa, you need to do 88 days work in regional Australia. Well, that's if you're French, German, English. It's not all countries. So, yeah, you get a few Chileans working, but they, they can only get one year. They're, they're just there purely to try and make money. And even then they, they struggle, you know. How this sounds to me is that if you're planning on an Australian holiday, you're from Europe and you're coming to Australia for a holiday uh, and... There's a requirement that you've got to do your 88 days regional work. Chances are you've probably saved some money. Or it costs you more to get there, and then you've got to pay the exorbitant expenses for the backpackers once you get there. So if you're an overseas worker, you're obliged to do the 88 days work. Do you make money after your 88 days? Are you going to have you know a fair quid in your pocket, or is it like a break-even situation? That all depends on what the season's like, about how you're being treated by the orchardists, which generally, 8 out of 10 times, is not very good. It, it just depends on the situation at the time of the weather. The weather is a big, big factor in fruit, obviously, especially cherries, because if you get any rain a few days before, it splits them and they're stuffed. Okay, and the other thing with with fruit picking, of course, is that it's not it's not a set wage. It's usually done pro rata of what you pick. They're actually supposed to be to start at a set wage and then pay you on top if you get more. But a lot of them don't. They go, oh, we're, we're going to give you a set wage through the whole season, and during the peak of the season, you'd be earning double that by weight. But so your productivity would be double that. So yeah, it depends on the orchard and how they're going to take advantage of you and that fact. You know. So it's not it's not a case of um, we need these overseas workers to come and fill a void that's left by lazy dole bludgers in Australia. It's a system that's set up to actively exploit overseas workers who are obliged to do eighty eight days work. Well, that's what's happened. Yeah, like uh, these guys. Want want to stay second year? They like the, the the most of the orchards orchardists won't hire Australians. They want people that won't fight back. You right. know what I mean? Like they so they won't hire Kiwis and Australians primarily. If you're a local yeah. and you're being exploited by your worker, you've got the Fair Work Commission. You've got you've got all these resources. Whereas if you're an overseas worker and preferably if your English isn't very good, yeah. You're just going to do 88 days, get ripped off and get out, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. And they think it's fine because these guys have got their 88 days and they must be, because they're tourists, they must be from an inheritance family or something. They don't realise that half of these kids have worked their their, their butts off to get here for years. So so when people talk about, oh, you know, uh, if you're unemployed in Melbourne, just get off your ass, go bush uh, and, and pick some fruit and you'll make lots of money. Uh, what, you, what you're competing against is a system of indentured labour. Certain orchards will only hire from certain backpackers. And then the backpackers say, if you don't have work at this orchard, you cannot stay here. But they get a week in advance. But then they get fired from the orchard and then the backpackers will kick them out within 24 hours and not give them their week's money back. So there's people just ripping these people off blind. It's a whole racket, especially up in Stanthorpe, Queensland. To me, it sounds very much like a modern-day indentured labour program, uh, basically working for food and board. Well, these guys are paying in the end for food and board and working on top. And the orchardists think that's fine, and so do the guys running the backpackers, even though they get you know, pulled up for it all the time. Oh, that's okay, we'll only get fined and we'll do it again next year. 
there's no um, uh, regulation of it. The, the fines are, un, uh, are inadequate. So if you get sprung, you just pay the fine, move on, but you're still making money. And there's the thing of spraying chemicals as well, which is bad. So I'd be waking up in Queensland and then going and working in New South Wales. It's right on the border. But the chemical laws are different in each state. And because they're right on the border, they can use both. So they use the most caustic chemicals on the fruit to get the fruit out there. The residuals from that, are, they're not supposed to spray whilst people are in the orchard. But I, I felt, the last time I worked on an orchard, I felt the, the spray on my face from when they were going right past us. And it's all residual chemicals that cause cancer and people will just drop, you know. And of course, if you're a local, you're far more likely, likely to complain about that than if you're... Um, yeah, if, if you're a tourist, you'll go overseas and... You do your 88 days and get out of there. And... Yeah, I'm actually shocked because in New Zealand, it was a completely different system. It was a lot friendlier, you know, like a, the, 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 the orchardists were really supportive because you're making them their money. Right. Whereas here... For apples, for example, oh, don't bruise my apples, I'll hit you with my spanner. And it's, I've literally seen that happen. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, look, we hear about women being harassed. Oh, I've seen um, it heaps. I've, I caught a, um, the truck driver of the boss's friend at the last orchard, the apple orchard I worked on, he got caught upskirting a girl. They used to go, go around the orchard calling girls derogatory names by their pussy and stuff. Like, and that was commonplace. And I was like, this can't happen because that's actually a form of harassment. So he made my job more difficult at that orchard being the foreman. If, if you are going to go picking any fruit, look for somewhere that has regular pickers. You know, someone that's been picking at that orchard for two or three years. And that's, the, for me, the best way to tell that if your boss is going to treat you fairer is that he's got workers that come back because all the orchards that, that don't like hiring locals are the ones that go through the most staff and they never have people that have been picking for more than a year. Who, who are the ones that treat them well? A lot of the harvest officers have weeded out over years who is good and who is bad though. Right. So if you go to the, I think it's Wise and Recruitment uh, Harvest Office, they will tell you generally who the good ones and bad ones are. And it's generally good to get there a couple of weeks early to get the better orchards, you know. Uh, for apples in Queensland, it's yeah. Vitilagos. Vitilagos, yep. yeah. The ones to stay away from, I would say, would be Snowman's Orchards or the Posibon family. They were the worst. And rugby farms, only seem uh, they have farms in Tasmania and Queensland, seem to only hire women in Queensland for some strange reason. Back in the day, I remember back in the 80s, uh, there was a lot of tomato picking and tobacco picking back back then, and gun pickers could earn good money. Um, but but that's all changed now. That's a, and it sounds like it's been undermined by this system of, of um, exploiting backpackers. Yeah, well, right now I've got a gun picker in Queensland. Yeah, like and he do, does adventure tourism. Tourism on, the, on his off time, he does apples or, or bananas. Like this guy will pick fifteen apple bins a day, which is unheard of, you know. And he's willing to put up a crew together to go around orchards in Australia to. To be gun pickers, yeah. but no one will hire us. No one will hire us. No one will hire us as a crew, as a picking crew, because yeah. we'd pick twice as much as everyone else and we'd expect the, the proper amount of money. You want to get paid for what yeah, you're picking. we know what we're doing. As far as they're concerned, they're better off exploiting uh, backpackers. Some of the stress that these orchardists are, are receiving is actually because of Woolworths. Oh, no, you hear this all the time. I've seen 100 tonnes of apples just thrown away because they were slightly small. And I say, okay, there's some of these people there... They've been brought up into a redneck mentality. They, they don't really know much more out of the box. The, what they're doing is wrong, but they don't really understand that because they've always lived in rural Queensland or wherever they are, yeah. whereas Woolworths should know better. 
I should explain to uh, our listeners that uh, Tex and I go back, we used to work together doing events. And one of the events that I did for 10 years was the Coles Executive Forum. It was uh, it was held at the uh, the Evil Empire uh, on the corner of uh, Turek Road and Taronga Road, I think it is. You'd have a room full of, I don't know, 100 or so uh, execs, uh, department heads, uh, and they'd sit there talking about how they're going to screw their suppliers a little bit more and a little bit more. Right. It, it was, it, it's just a long-term plan, and they just, just put, put the vice grips on just tighter and tighter and tighter. At the beginning of the season, you might be getting 25 to $35 a bin. Yeah. yeah, so each each crew has to minim, get a minimum of X amount of bins per day. But half of those apples would not even go through. Although some of the orchardists aren't good people, they don't deserve to be ripped off as well. So it's just, it's like a chain of... Well, it flows down the flows line, down the line. Yeah. But the treatment gets worse and worse right. until it's like, it is, like you said, it's, it's almost like a slave labour in some people, you know? Yeah. I've heard of people being locked in at night, you know, only allowed out for one hour a day to get their, their groceries and all sorts of weird stuff. It's it's appalling, you know, and and I suppose if they can get away with it, then that's there's always going to be um, people who will exploit a, a situation, and especially the people that can't don't know English very well because they don't know where to go. But we're finding this comes down from the top. So we're talking Woolworths and Coles. You're talking about these large organisations putting the squeeze on the suppliers. Some of those suppliers you you say are good and they look after their crew, but you're you're saying that's about twenty percent of them. You reckon most of them. Um, are, would prefer to exploit uh, backpackers, so even though they're not they're not picking as quickly as the, the gun pickers. They can s- screw them, yep. so that they're uh, uh, still getting a, a good a good bang for their buck out of what's been. And they might get a payoff back from the backpackers or whatever. Who knows? Yeah, it'd be interesting to look at um, the the association between the backpacker organisations. Some of these backpackers, you can't stay at the backpackers unless you work at these orchards. And if you don't work at these orchards, you have to be out within 24 hours of the backpackers, even though there's a week in advance payment, yes. and they don't get it back. There's a, a like a, a, a direct connection between the orchard and the backpacker. And they advertise online to overseas to get them in. You've got this 88-day thing going on, and it sounds like there are some uh, some unscrupulous operators who are simply exploiting the system. It's a whole racket. And the, essentially, the 88 days thing is a good thing. It means that people that are willing to work and want to can do there and stay here longer can except we don't look after people we bring it's, just, it's the same thing with the um, with all the students that uh, that came out here and were caught with covid yeah. the government did nothing for them just let, let hang them out to dry and they're and they're in uh you know food queues to 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 eat you know so because the government doesn't mind taking the money from them um but uh they holds no responsibility for them whatsoever same same with a lot of kiwis that got here after they changed the laws like a friend of mine is a beggar in the city because right. he can't you know, be stable, but then he couldn't even do that. But he was lucky he got a hotel. Yeah. But this is off topic. But it's all on topic. One thing leads to another. You know, so that's good to talk about. So, so Merry Christmas, everybody. And and um, if you think that that you're going to make your fortune to go and uh, pick cherries, well, um, good luck. Research your orchard is all I can say. Go there a week beforehand and research your orchards, and ask a few locals because they will tell you who the good ones are and who the good ones aren't, and the good ones go quick. Good on your text. Well, thanks very much for coming in and chatting to us. Uh, nice yeah, to see you. No worries. Okay. Nice to see you, nice to see you Kev. Bye. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience of unemployment and underemployment here on 3CR Community Radio. So that's text. Uh, Anne, and he's a lovely guy and an excellent worker. He's just very, very motivated and the rest of it. So if Tex is telling you it's pretty crap, then it's pretty crap. crap. So next we have Cherry Bomb from The Runaways. Cherry Bomb! Cherry Bomb! 
Okay, so that was Cherry Bomb from The Runaways uh, mm-hmm. on the cherry theme. I am so needing a cherry right now. <laughs> uh, unemployed Workers <laughs> Fight Back Christmas Edition is all about uh, all about cherries. Okay, other good things that have happened this year, Anne. We had the new start was double, but we also had um, JobKeeper, and so there was quite a few people who were on casual income who might have a mm. shift here and a shift there uh, and have been working for a year, um, earning a few hundred bucks um, a week who all of a sudden got JobKeeper at 750 bucks a week. So they went mm-hmm. from insecure, casualised, low wages to a regular wage that was more than what they normally get paid. Mm-hmm. That's good. That was wonderful too. Time was of the essence right. when the COVID first struck and the lockdowns first happened. And so I just love that they couldn't do all these nuances because you could tell that they really would just love to have graded it out. Oh, yeah. And finally they did, yeah. you know, according to how many hours you worked. But just having people getting a decent income, that was a wonderful thing. It was. And so that's something that will probably never happen again. Well, not until the next pandemic. Um, and who knows when that, when that will be, uh, when this one mutates, <laughs> it could happen again. Um, so so there was that was a very nice thing. And the other thing was there was no traffic. It was great. <laughs> mm. So I kept imagining all the pigeons looking down from their little perches <laughs> in the middle of the city going, where did all the people go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The environment had a ch- the chance to have a bit of a breather and uh, we saw this quite mm. quite a lot all around the world, uh, wildlife uh, re-entering the cities and, and wandering around and, and uh, because not getting run over and, mm-hmm. and trump- trampled by all us humans the whole time. So, so it's like <laughs> with this um, decreased ac- activity, the whole world just got to... Have a bit of a stretch and, and a bit of a, a bit of a relax, mm. and um, we, we pumped less pollution into mm-hmm. the atmosphere, and, and the animals weren't so intimidated by us mongrels coming, you know, roaming around the place, giving them a hard time. So that was nice. Uh huh. And you know, even from the human perspective, it does remind you how important it is to have a good, stable home because that sitting at home stuff wasn't so difficult for those who actually could enjoy, you know, a roof over their head and and the company of the loved ones and doing a bit of gardening and whatever else. So it was a mixed bag for the humans. But, yeah, definitely for the animals, I think they were kind of able to, you know, just stretch their legs a little bit more. <laughs> and, um, and we had the homeless in, certainly in Victoria, were housed in, uh, in accommodation over the winter. Hey, how about that? Suddenly we could deal with the homeless so-called problem. And uh, isn't it amazing that you can solve homelessness by giving people a home? <laughs> and there was no shortage of homes for them to, to, to find. Like it was, it was seemed to be quite easy. There, there is a lot of vacant property uh, mm. in, in, a lot, in, in most mm-hmm. major cities. Uh, and, and what we're seeing is that the only thing that's stopping uh, communities and societies from looking after the homeless is ideology. And uh, if push comes to shove, we can do it mm-hmm. just like that because we just did. So we've got the actual physical uh, spaces for people and we've got the money to do it because we know that the Australian Federal Government is the issuer of the currency. So it doesn't matter how large that bill is if it's being paid for in Australian dollars. It seemed like a very odd year, but there were some, some nice things happening. But that's a, a lot of talking, Anne, um, and we need to continue on our cherry theme. Can't wait. What's the next cherry song? So next we have <laughs> Cherry Pie by Daddy Cool. 3CR, here to stay. Cherry, cherry
Okay, so that was Cherry Pie by Daddy Cool here on Unemployed Workers Fight Back on our Christmas Day special, which is has a very cherry theme to it. So I uh, hope you're enjoying the uh, <laughs> enjoying the cherries. Although I think David Little proud he can choke on his cherries. As far as I'm concerned, he's uh, he's got very little to be <laughs> very little to be proud of. David Little proud. Anyway, that's a bit mean on Christmas Day, but, you know. Yeah. Where's your Christmas spirit, Kevin? I don't, I don't have a lot of Christmas spirit, to tell you the truth, Ant. It's, um, it's, it, it's a social occasion for me, Christmas. I always, um, I've got this big stance on the, um, on, on the materialism, the commercialisation of, of Christmas, and, and mm-hmm. I cannot stand buying presents. I'm, I'm not buying any presents this year. Haven't, and it's not because I'm a Scrooge. You're on a present strike. <laughs> I reckon it detracts from the whole uh, whole occasion. Like like it's sort of I can understand kids getting presents, you know. Maybe if you're a primary school kid and the rest of it, you know. But it's supposed to be a social occasion. It's all they always tell you about how it's about family and people coming together and and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, all this buying of presents and stuff is an interference. It's sort of like you got to go. A, you got to go buy the presents, which means you got to plough your way through, uh, you know, shopping centres and, and spend all this money. And that turns into a competition. Is it going to be as good as what you bought last mm-hmm. year? Are they going to be disappointed? And, it's, and all this consumerism comes into it. Just scrap the presents, okay? I'm, I'm not against presents. I mean, but I just don't think the presents should be given on Christmas Day. I think the presents should be um, boycotted on Christmas Day, maybe except for primary school kids. Primary school kids <laughs> might might throw a wobbly if, if, we, um, if we go too far. But adults, stop it. You know, if you're a teenager, that's it. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're 13... No more presents on Christmas Day. As soon as you stop believing in Santa. Yeah, well, for me, this is about four. You know, um, it's, it's, legacy it's, of being in a large family. It's great being the youngest, younger one, isn't it? Yeah, younger ones. Yeah, I mean, the, the older kids. Like as soon as as soon as you're about seven or eight, and you realise that that um, the whole Santa Claus thing is a fraud, and your folks say, "But don't tell your younger brothers and sisters." Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to tell them. You always do. So. As soon as you learned how to talk and, and, and conceive of, of Santa in our house, you learned that he was a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's where my my uh, scepticism of the consumerism of, of Christmas comes from. Because wasn't Santa with the red and the white uh, a mm. product of, of uh, Coca Cola? Coca Cola, Coca Cola, Santa. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, next on our list of. Uh, of cherry theme songs is this is an old classic um, which I, uh, I picked this up ages ago. Uh, the Rolling Stones did a cover of it, but this is the original reggae version of Cherry O Baby. There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single 
individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Yeah, so that's a, a shout out to the queer family here at 3CR. Hope you're having a good day, no matter what sort of family you come from out there today. Uh, before before that, we heard a song, Cheerio Baby, from Eric Donaldson, uh, which is off a, a CD collection I got years ago called Tougher Than Tough, The Story of Jamaican Music, which I love. It's fantastic. A lot of rare stuff on there. There's like one Bob Marley track and the rest of it's just this collection from the 50s right through until uh the late 90s that's a great um great compilation yeah it's a great find <laughs> that was a very special christmas present kevin even though you're not giving anyone presents yeah, well it's, it's a nice social present see that's that, that's good mm. okay now we're talking about um uh good things about 2020 and about some, mm-hmm. some of the more enjoyable things that happened this year i ran into my niece rosa Hello, Rosa, if you're listening. She won't be, but if she was, yeah. hi, Rosa. Hi, Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she's about uh, 16 or so. And I said, how's your how's your lockdown year going? It must be pretty bad because, you know, it, it, being a teenager, you want to go out and, and meet with your friends and stuff. And she said, no, it's okay. There's nothing on, so I'm not missing out on anything. And so there was whole this whole FOMO thing, you know, like um, if... Oh, yes, the fear of missing out. So if nothing's on, you didn't have to worry about missing out on anything. I think I experienced some of that too. I could kind of relax about the fact that I didn't ever want to go out on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so I, I spoke to quite a few people uh, as they've started coming back out again and you go to cafes and you start running into people and at work and the rest of it. And I go, so how was your lockdown? And they go, oh, you know, it was terrible for business, blah, blah, blah. But they all said, um, but it was nice not having to be anywhere. Like, okay, yeah. so my business wasn't doing very well. But it wasn't mm-hmm. like there was anything I could do. So I didn't have to, I didn't feel stressed that I wasn't there. I just couldn't mm. go there. So I just had to kick back and people Can kicked you, back. how much of our life is, is driven by FOMO as yeah. opposed to FOGO, you're going out? <laughs> and you just go, okay, well, I'm going to stay home and mm. fix things. So people fix things around the house. A lot of people got into gardening and a bit of maintenance and that sort of stuff and, and caught up on things that they normally don't have time to do. So there was a lovely yeah. relaxation and catching up with stuff and, and just sort of sorting out of things at home. So that was good. People started thinking about different ways that they could do things, you know, like a lot of people are working from home. Uh, mm-hmm. So then there's no peak hour traffic, which means they've got a couple of extra hours during the day. And now that we're coming out of it, they go, well, why don't we keep doing that? Because that makes sense. Yeah, I really hope that experience um, translates into a lot more working from home for those who find that it enhances their quality of life. <laughs> yeah, I've heard people from the disability sector who, for them, travel is, is often uh, an enormous kind of hurdle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something they've got to cope with every day. And they, uh, a lot of them say, look, I can do what I'm doing from home. I don't need to go to work. But this whole kind of, oh, no, you've got to come into work. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, but why? And so they've been saying that for, for ages. And now it's mm-hmm. been proven that uh, 
their idea is actually quite a sound one. Mm, for sure. So it was another good thing to come out of 2020. <laughs> you know, necessity is the mother of invention. We had to stay at home. And so there's all these different ways of looking about how we can work. I hate to end this the the show on a bit of a sad note, but uh, but I'm I'm doing this intentionally. So there was a, a good friend of mine, Jan Jan O'Donnell, who uh, was the stage guy for TISM. Um, uh, this is serious, mm-hmm. Mum. Do you do you know if this is serious, Mum? TISM. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Love um, the name. So yeah. Uh, so he passed away earlier this month. He's had um, he's had some health problems for quite some time, but he was only he wasn't he's just a year or two older than myself, so he's just under sixty, I think, and he was in. He's he's just a great guy, Jan, and it was everybody was sad to see him go. But uh, quite often, when somebody in the entertainment industry passes and they're a performer, there's a big kerfuffle. But um, Jan's a, a backstage guy; he's their stage roadie. Um, and if you know anything about uh, TISM shows, they're usually um, insane. Uh, there's there's things exploding. There's there's stuff going on. I got invited to um, by Yarn to go and see Tism doing a warm up show at the Mount Evelyn a number of years ago, uh, and, and there's only six of us in the room because they, they were, it was a warm up show and they were uh, performing under a, face, a false name, and they've got their masks on and the rest of it. And there's a fairly low ceiling in in the um, in the venue, and they're all jumping around. And one guy has jumped and and just slammed himself into this RSJ across across the roof and, and basically knocked himself out. He fell straight to the floor. <laughs> He's lying, lying, I think, pretty much unconscious. His leg was twitching a bit. And... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty that's pretty um normal for a tism show uh you know there's uh, there's always stuff going on and yarn picks up the pieces he so so all these guys are jumping around the whole time and yarn's the one and i was speaking to the guys we, we um we had a couple of beers for yarn at the corner hotel uh after after his service the other day and uh and the guys from tism uh, put some money down on the bar and shattered us little drinks which is very nice uh, and I was speaking to them, and they said, "Look, they don't really know. They didn't know much about um, live performance. They they kind of came in pretty fresh, and they're all marked. So all they, all they know was tism. But but Yarn had been in the business for a while, and Yarn's life outside uh, performance is pretty chaotic. But what he does is he reverses the dynamic when he's in a performance space. So when curtains are catching on fire, mm. and there's people." from the audience on stage and when there's people from this on stage in the audience and everything's getting mixed up and there's cables going everywhere and there's danger everywhere, Jan came in mm. and created order out of the chaos. And so, Just yeah, it all so out. they were very appreciative of that. Um, and so oh, he will be missed. He will be missed. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to wind the show out uh, this week with a TISM song, 40 Years of Living in Death, uh, in remembrance of Jan. 3CR Community Radio, 855am.
to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR. Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne. And I thank you, Kevin. Oh, no, the pleasure was all mine. Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine. You mean all the pleasure was yours? Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one. <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means I, there's no pleasure for me at all. And I quite oh. enjoyed myself. So if you got all the pleasure, then what, I had no, I had no pleasure? I think we should share the pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure because, you know, like, I don't mind you having the pleasure. That's great. So we can have as much pleasure as you like, but don't take all the pleasure. Well, it was very pleasurable, so I'm glad that it was pleasurable for you and it was You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.